Well, the way Boymeyer's my friend, if I ever quit picking on him, he'd think I don't love him. Sometimes he's difficult to get along with, but he's a dear friend. <laughs> Hallelujah. I appreciate you men being faithful this week. God bless you. I appreciate your coming. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'd preach just the same to one as I would to a hundred or a thousand. But the fact is, you know, you, it's hard to help empty chairs. There's people that are our business. And I appreciate you, and I appreciate your willingness to come and to uh, put up with me for one evening and one whole morning. And then to get stuck with me on Sunday, too. Anyway, the trials and tribulations are good for you. Uh, Numbers 21. If you're able to, stand with me, please, in reverence to the Word of God. Uh, Verse number 1. And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel, took some of them prisoner. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel, delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them. And their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. Now look at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Heavenly Father, Stir our hearts this morning, please, as only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I want to preach this morning for, well, I was going to tell a big whopper (laughs) for a few minutes, uh, on uh, what happens when a Christian gets discouraged. In our text, Israel is about, um, well, they're nearing the promised land. Uh, they've they've come to this you know they've been in they've been in the wilderness for two years and they've come to the southern gate which is Kadesh Barnea and uh, they sent in the twelve spies and ten came out with a discouraging report two came out saw the same things the ten saw but they came out with an encouraging report and uh, when I first read this passage where it says the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Uh, I thought to myself, how in the world can they get discouraged? I mean, they, the miracles they saw that, that convinced them and then convinced Pharaoh to let them go. I mean, miracles, miracles. God sheltered them from the plagues that he sent on the Egyptians. Uh, when they saw all that, uh, not only that, they crossed the Red Sea. Some, I know, somebody said it was the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea. Well, my Bible says the Red Sea. That's good enough for me. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, somebody that same, that, uh, can I use a Bible word, a Hebrew word? That same idiot. That's Hebrew. Uh, that said it was the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea. Said probably was low tide. Only two and a half inches of water when Israel crossed. Well, you know, that's a pretty good miracle, isn't it? The entire Egyptian army drowned. 
at two and a half inches of water. And the way you look at it, God is going to get the glory. But they came across the Red Sea, and they, they headed a little bit east, and then they went south, and they spent an entire year, 13 months actually, there at uh, Sinai. And after all the miracles that, that God fed them with, with you know, with, with the flesh and the, on the manna and all the miracles they saw, and after a year, uh, 13 months are at Sinai, hearing the voice of God thunder. How in the world can that crowd become discouraged? I mean, that's a, that's a formula for encouragement. How can they get discouraged? Now i got to think it. Aaron has died, their high priest. Miriam has died. She was Moses and Aaron's sister. And she was a great leader among the people. Um, the, 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 the God has already told Moses now that he's changed his mind about letting Moses go into the promised land because of a sin he committed that destroyed the perfect picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, they've seen all this. It's no, it's no wonder. You look at their circumstance presently. It's no wonder they got discouraged. I am thoroughly convinced that the most oft-committed, I'm going to call it frailty, I'm not going to call it a sin, frailty, of serving saints. And I'm not talking about, you know, sideliners or spectators or backsliders. I'm talking about those who are actively trying to serve the Lord. The most oft-committed frailty of serving saints is the frailty of discouragement. I'm not going to call it a sin. Personally, I don't believe that it's a sin to get discouraged. But it is a sin to stay that way. I guarantee you. To get discouraged is really just a human frailty. Somebody said to me one time, Preacher, you ever think God is, dis- God is-, you ever think God is disappointed in you? I said, No, how could He be? He knew what He was getting when He got me. God knows I'm human. God knows I have human shortcomings, frailties. Uh, don't let the hey, quit letting the devil intimidate you about your humanity. You're not God. God knows that. God made you with limitations. And I'm not convinced that it's a sin to get discouraged. I think it's just a human frailty. But I guarantee you it is a sin to stay that way. Now, the truth of the matter is nobody, nobody is immune to discouragement. If the truth were known, now you're, you, you, you know, we, we're, we're good at covering things up. We learn. If the truth were known, I guarantee you half of this crowd right here is discouraged. Right now. Now, you're, you're smiling because you ain't got the sense to know it. <laughs> but you're discouraged. And um, the other half, don't you get discouraged about not being discouraged. Uh, your, your turn's right around the corner. The other half's going to be discouraged, probably, probably, by the time you wake up in the morning. Nobody, I don't care, the most godly spiritual person on the first of the earth, nobody is immune to discouragement. Somebody said that discouragement is courage decreased, and encouragement is courage increased. That's a pretty good way to put it. But I, I prefer the way Lester Roloff put it. Brother Roloff said, and I quote, Courage is nothing more than fear that has already said its prayers. 
End of quote. I said it again. So I only got one amen, and it was a whisper. Courage is nothing more than fear that has already said his prayers. Now, the question was asked, why did God's people get discouraged? I mean, the world, they're going to hell. The way of the transgressor is hard. They ought to be discouraged. But why did God's people, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost living inside in the person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've read the last chapter. We are on the winning side. In fact, the war has already been won. Have you checked lately? The tomb is empty. Why do we get discouraged? Why are we so... Why are we so stinking? Oh, I'm so stinking. I'm stinking. Well, I think of Peter. Peter, my favorite... One of my favorite Bible characters, he kind of wore his, the weakness of his humanity, his frailty on his sleeve. What you saw was what you got. Jesus put the disciples on his ship. And he sent them out across the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, all the same place. Very stormy, very stormy. You see, the wind still today whips over the mountains down into that gulf. It's below sea level and uh, <coughs> creates a lot of storms. And he, he sent them out and told them to go to the other side. And he went up into a mountain at the seashore to pray for them. He said, why did he do that? Because he knew a storm was coming. How do you know? Are you forgetting? He's the creator. He made the storm just for them. <coughs> so he prayed for them all night long till sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning. Then he came down decided to become a part of the solution. You pray that seriously. Sometimes God will use you to be the solution. And he walked on the sur surface of the water, not on rocks or ice blocks, on the surface of the water. It was nighttime, 3 o'clock, between 3 and 6 in the morning, dark. They were fighting the storm. When they saw him walking on the water, they didn't recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. They said... It's a spirit. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Then Peter said, Lord, faith. Then he said in doubt, if. It's, it just told him what. If it's you. And then he said in bold and reckless faith, bid me come on the water. And so Jesus said this in the Koine Greek. And so Peter climbed over the ship. And he walked toward Jesus on the water. But you know, about the time he got away from the ship, but not really all the way to Jesus yet, not quite, almost, all of a sudden the Bible, he noticed the storm around him. I mean, the waves were lapping up against the side of his body, and the wind was blowing. And uh, the, the, Matthew's account says when he saw the wind blowing. Don't say because. Because points to reason, wind points to time. I'm convinced that he probably sank because of fear at that point. I'm convinced that probably the 
maybe the entire or at least the majority of the contributing factors to his sinking. But I can think of three things that might have added to Peter's lack of faith. Number one, we just touched on fear. I mean, got to looking around at his circumstance, fear welled up in his heart. And he sang. It's also possible that he got to thinking, nobody's ever done this before. Look at me. Boy, this is going to get written up in the sword of the Lord. And everybody's going to hear about it. By the way, that did get in the sword of the Lord. And everybody has heard about it. Maybe that. Maybe, maybe pride welled up. I don't know. Maybe that contributed to his sickness. It's also possible that he got to thinking about the 11 cowards in the boat. Maybe he got critical. I despise the guys who criticize and minimize the other guys whose enterprise have made them rise above the guys who criticize. Don't ask me to say that again. But maybe he got a critical. I don't know But he's saying. Now, listen to me carefully. I said all that to say this. It doesn't matter what your eyes are on. If they're not on Jesus, they're on the wrong thing. I'm not saying don't look at your leaders. We, we do. We should. Paul said, follow me as I, am, as I follow Christ. But ultimately, whatever, anytime you, anytime you get discouraged, it will ultimately, and this covers all bases, be because your eyes are not fixed on Jesus. And I don't care what they're on. If they're not on Jesus, um, I'm going to give you seven things quickly. Can we have a confession? <laughs> uh, we'll give three for five dollars today. Um, I'm going to give you seven things quickly that happen when a Christian gets discouraged. Then I'm going to give you a brief Bible recipe to overcome discouragement, which is the same recipe to prevent it to begin with. What happens when a Christian gets discouraged? Number one, a discouraged Christian prays the wrong prayer. When you're discouraged, if you have the spiritual sense at all to pray, if you're discouraged, you will invariably pray the wrong prayer. You can pray the wrong prayer you persist long enough, God just go ahead and answer it. Because you bugged him about it. Israel did that. They settled into the promised land. They got to looking around, and every city-state had a king of their own. They were the only people who didn't have a king. They went to Samuel. It didn't happen in this order necessarily, but they went to Samuel, and they said, Sam, we want a king. Samuel went to the Lord and said, They want a king. What am I going to do? And the Lord said, They don't need a king. They got me. You know what their problem was? Same as ours. They knew that God was necessary, but they didn't know that He was enough. Everybody in here knows that Jesus is necessary. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. My question is, are you aware that He's enough? God said, they don't need a king. They got me. And Samuel said, God said, you don't need one. You got him. They said, by the way, this is our problem too. Everybody else got one. Got to be like everybody. I guarantee you, over half the churches will start in bus ministries. And I thank God for the bus ministry. We have one. 
Every, almost every week, souls are saved in our bus ministry. Thank God. I'm not criticizing a bus ministry, but a lot of churches only started a bus ministry because Dr. Hiles had one, or Lee Robertson had one. That's the wrong reason. No matter what other, you do what God wants you to do, no matter what others are doing. Uh, but but they, they prayed the wrong prayer. They, they were discouraged. They prayed for a king, and God didn't want them to have a king. It wasn't time yet until the next generation. But they persisted. God said, all right. I'll give you one. And he gave them a whopper. It took more than two hands to handle. He gave them a Saul turned out to be a hardcore socialist. Does that make you feel at home? <laughs> I mean, hardcore socialist. They prayed the wrong prayer. You mark it down. You better be careful. When you're discouraged, pray yes. But you better be careful what you pray. You complain bitterly enough to God about it. And even if it's not something His will to teach you a lesson, He might just let you have it. He knows how to do it. Discouraged Christian prays the wrong prayer. Secondly, the discouraged Christian says the wrong things. I'm talking about to one another now. You would be amazed if you'd look up and study the passages in the Bible. Talk about the tongue. James 3 is the classic. 3, 4, and 5. Classic passage on the tongue. The Bible says the tongue is set on fire by hell. He's talking to believers. The Bible says the tongue sets on fire the course of natural things. The Bible says the tongue is the smallest member of the human body, but it causes more damage. The vast majority of wars that are fought I not fought over ideology. I fought over something that a leader or somebody said. You mark it down, the vast majority of trouble, domestic or otherwise, church or otherwise, caused by the tongue. Just the old, you know, I want to say sister tongue wagger. But there are some brothers who are tongue waggers too. Uh, the Bible says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always... You know what your speech is, don't you? That's what you say. Let it be always, not just once in a while, always with grace, means gracious, seasoned with salt. You know, salt, too much salt will kill you. But not a... I wound up in the hospital on more than one occasion just from eating a Subway sandwich. Too much salt on that cold cup. High blood pressure. Um, salt, salt, but you know, salt, salt, you pour salt in a wound and it hurts. It'll sting. But salt for seasoning is a wonderful thing. I mean, uh, in our home, we, 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 my wife doesn't cook with salt, but it's there if you want to put a little bit on. We, we use sea salt, but salt for seasoning. You know what? You know what will take bitterness out of even. A cup of McDonald's coffee. You want to take bitterness out of your coffee? Drop just a tiny pinch of salt in it. Take some bitterness. Can't taste the salt. Take some bitterness away. You like oatmeal? I do. Uh, if you if you if you cook oatmeal, 
when you're when you're boiling the water before you pour in the oatmeal, put a little bit of salt in it. It'll keep your oatmeal from tasting like the bottom of that pan. Salt for seasoning makes things taste better. Paul said, let your speech be always gracious. Season with salt. That means tasty to those who have to receive it. Then it says that you may know how. It doesn't say what. It says how. To answer a man that I should go. Hey, God is concerned about what you say, but is equally concerned about how you say it. You can sink a ship by saying the right thing at the right time in the wrong attitude. When you're discouraged, be careful, be careful. By the way, by the way, if you will tame that tiger behind your teeth while you're encouraged, then when you get discouraged, you'll near as, be near as likely to talk like you've got steroids in your polygrip. Be careful what you say when you're discouraged. I, I, I don't know if I've ever come across a church or split anywhere that was justified. I don't know of any that is split over doctrine. That's justified. Sin, that's justified. But most of them split over something sister so-and-so said. He didn't shake my hand. Well, you know what that means? You didn't shake his. I, I, the tongue has caused more trouble. Be very, very careful if you'll tame that tiger behind your teeth. While you're encouraged, you won't be as likely to, you know, talk out of sorts when you're discouraged. A discouraged Christian says the wrong thing. A discouraged Christian thinks the wrong thoughts. We have a tendency to think that thoughts don't matter. But the truth of the matter is, you, you are today a result of your sum total of your thought processes to now. You will be tomorrow what you think today. Your thoughts... Hey, listen to me carefully. Your thoughts are things to God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He lives in your spirit. Your thoughts are the things that decorate the inside of the temple where the Holy Spirit lives. No wonder Paul said, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, right, holy, lovely, of good report, etc., Think on those things. No wonder Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we're to, we're to bring into captivity every thought. Every thought. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we're to bring it into captivity. You control your own thoughts. You know, you drive down the road, you can't help what you see on a billboard, but you can sure, you can sure make yourself not stare at it. Or not think about it. You be careful what you think. Be careful. Be careful what you think. You know, sometimes in a church, boy, when things are going good, the people will think, my, my pastor, he hung the moon. And he might have. He hung my hero. And then they'll get discouraged. And the wrong thought will come. Satan cannot make you do or say a thing 
All he can do is plant thoughts into your mind. That's his field. That's all. Be very, very careful what you think. By the way, if you'll renew your mind with that book by saturating your soul in that book. I don't mean a 15-minute conscience easement. I mean saturate your soul in that book every moment you have the opportunity, every day of your life. That book will then become radar that detects evil thoughts. Discouraged Christian thinks the wrong thoughts. Fourthly, discouraged Christian sees the wrong things. Remember when God's, when, uh, when Moses sent the twelve spies in at Kadesh Barnea after two years in the wilderness? They all spent 40 days there. They spread out throughout the whole land and split up, decided to meet back in 40 days. They all saw the grapes of Eskal that were on, so large on the cluster they had to be carried on a pole uh, resting on the shoulder between two men. They all saw that. They all saw the brooks of Esther, the, the, the water. They all saw, they all saw the walled cities, the fortified places. They all saw the soldiers that made them look like grasshoppers. And they all saw the same thing. But when they came out, ten said, we can't take it. Moses should have never brought us out here. Back to Egypt! Get rid of Moses. I like somebody else. Impeach him. But two, the other two, Joshua and Caleb, they saw the same thing. They came and sent out, came out and said, "We don't have to take it. God has given it to us. It is ours. Let's go in uh, and possess the land." What's the difference? Ten were discouraged. Two were encouraged. You, think, you, you get discouraged, your mind will think the wrong thoughts. And the man who used to be and ought to be your hero might, might in your mind become an obstacle in your mind. Discouraged Christian thinks the wrong thoughts. Number five, a discouraged Christian does the wrong things. Why do you think Moses smote the rock when he should have spoken to it? He hadn't gotten far into the wilderness a few days and and the Israelites were thirsty after crossing the Red Sea with massive walls of water. I could have gone without water for a long time, I think. They got thirsty. They said, Moses, what are we going to do? God said, what shall I do? They're about to lynch me. And God said, what's that in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, well, what's that over there? He said, a rock. He said, go smite the rock twice. Smite it. He said, go smite the rock. And they smote the rock, and water came out. Now, the Bible says, from that point on, that rock followed them. I don't know. If I was going through a strange wilderness, and I turned over my shoulder, and a boulder was following me, I'd have picked up the pace. But you know, the Bible says that rock was Christ. And first I think it's chapter 10. Then later on, a few years later in the wilderness, why they they got discouraged, and so they began to complain. They forgot about that rock that was right on their tail. They began to complain about no water. And Moses said, "What am I going to do? They're building the gallows for me." And God said, "Don't touch the rock. 
just speak to it. Because that raucous Christ, once he is smitten Calvary, you never need to smite him again. All you've got to do is speak to him. Once for all, oh, happy condition. But Moses got to the rock and he maybe had intended to speak to it, but the, the Israel was standing around complaining and their discouragement became his. Discouragement is contagious. So he got angry and took that rod and he smoked out. And as a result of, a, of an angry reaction in a fit of discouragement, God said, okay, Moses, I know I promised you to take the children of Israel in the promised land, but you're not going in now. They will, but you won't. God cut his life short. All because he got discouraged and did the wrong thing. Be careful. Don't you make a move when you're discouraged. Don't you change jobs when you're discouraged. Don't you change churches when you're discouraged. You'll invariably make the wrong move every time when I fail. You save those important decisions for when you're encouraged. More likely to end up on the right path. Number six, a discouraged Christian does the wrong things. Well, I said that. Moses smote the rock. Let's go to not, not with five. Number six, a discouraged Christian ends up in the wrong place. Why do you think Jonah ended up spending three days and three nights on a full blubber mattress in the sub-Mediterranean University of the Whale's Belly? I'll tell you why I was discouraged. Back in that day, a prophet, his genuineness was determined by his prophecies. If he made a prophecy and it came to pass, he was of God. If it didn't, he was not of God. At this point, Jonah is batting a thousand. Every time he prophesied, it came fast. Now, for the repetition. But God came to him one day and said, Moses, you go to the city of Nineveh, the fish worshiping capital of the Assyrian world. And you hate the Assyrians. That's where Jezebel came from. You go to Nineveh and you tell them, 40 days, we're going to have a barbecue. And they were going to be on the spit. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing. He didn't even have, God told him to preach, and it says he preached. But, you know, compared to our standard today, he didn't preach. He just made the announcements. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be And he went in there and said, Yet 40 days, as God told him, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And every one of them repented. The king passed over the law, you got to repent which makes it a political revival. And uh, 120,000 in that city who didn't know the left hand from the right hand. I don't know if that means they were infants or illiterate. I don't know, but that's what it says. And what, happened, what, what did Jonah do? They caught a nasty case of the poochie lip. And they powdered and they blamed God. And uh, you know the rest of the story. But uh, why, why did he end up to begin with in the whale's belly? Got discouraged. He knew what would happen. He knew they'd repent, and he knew God's heart well enough to know God would 
change his mind about destroying them. They're not going to be a part of that. So he spent three days and three nights on the whale's belly. Uh, until, until the well spell. Why do you think David fell into adultery? It didn't begin. It didn't begin with a, a lust. It didn't even begin with seeing the wrong thing. It began with when the Bible... You find every time until then that David's army went out, David the king was in front, leading them into the battle. But, it says in verse 1 of that chapter... In the day when kings go forth to battle, David, the king, didn't. He stayed home. And he sent the man. I don't know. I'm inclined to believe that he was discouraged. Maybe he was tired. You know, sometimes weariness helps discouragement come along. Well, if he was discouraged, he stayed. That means then that discouragement was the cause of his sin, or at least the surrounding circumstance. And as a result, he saw what he shouldn't have saw and what she shouldn't have been shown. He wanted what did not belong to him. He took what belonged to somebody else. And he committed the scarlet sin and then in cold blood murdered a man to try to cover his sin. Got in trouble over it. Big trouble with God. Why? Discouraged. Uh, when you're discouraged, uh, he ended up, uh, because he was discouraged, he ended up in the wrong place, on the balcony, when he should have been on the battlefield. If you get discouraged, you'll end up in the wrong place. Be careful about changing jobs, making a move of any kind when you're discouraged. Wait till you get encouraged. Number seven, quickly. A discouraged Christian develops a wrong spirit. Attitude. I'm not one of these Zig Ziglar gurus, but you mark it down, attitude does largely determine your altitude. Your attitude is pretty important. You can do the right thing in the wrong attitude and end up in a big mess. End up being misunderstood. Watch your attitude. Watch your attitude. You know, the Bible says about King Saul that when he started out, he was head and shoulders above everybody, and man, the glory of the sunrise was in his life. However, pride kept it, crept in, and he ended up saved, yes, but a very wicked man. Suicide took his life. And, you know, what started in the sunrise, glorious sunrise, ended up in a sad, sad sunset. All because of pride. Now, you study his life, you'll find three times that the Bible says that God sent him an evil spirit. Now, I don't know. The answer is not given, but I will express my opinion. It's my privilege. I'm not convinced that that was necessarily a demonic spirit that God sent. God is sovereign. God can do that if he wants. It looks to me like you study the circumstance... In each case, it looks to me like God allowed him to develop a bad spirit. You know, you can say that's demonic or not, but God allowed bad attitude because he was away from the Lord. Hey, you get discouraged. You are likely to develop a bad attitude. Watch your attitude. Watch your attitude when it's discouraged. 
right, now let me give you a recipe. It's a very short, but it has five ingredients to overcome discouragement. And if this recipe is guaranteed to help you overcome, it's also guaranteed if you'll practice it while you are encouraged to prevent discouragement. It'll be like a shield. Now this is really theological. Are you ready for the five ingredients? Ingredient number one, pray. Luke 18, 1. Men are always to pray and not... What's the word? Faint, not get discouraged. Hey, if you'll learn to maintain a quality prayer life while you are encouraged, it'll go a long way to keep you from getting discouraged when those circumstances come along. Pray. Pray. Ingredient number two, be steadfast. Preacher, what should I do? My money has run out. Be steadfast. Somebody in the church hurt my feelings. Be steadfast. Let me read the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When I passed on Hamburg, PA, that a man in our church named Don Reiner. Don had uh, a, 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 a went through a nasty and very unfortunate um, divorce. His wife left him, and Don sank himself into God's work. I mean. At first he went home and, you know, he came home from work one day. That's how I found out about it. He came home from work. Don Reiner came home from work one day. And all of a sudden his house was empty. Furniture was gone. Every item in the house was gone except for his personal possessions. She loaded up a couple of trucks and left them dry and dry. At first he sank into the oblivion of despair. Left the house and went, lived at the YMCA for a while. Then he got a hold of himself. He got back to the house and he sank himself into the work of God. Don Reiner was the kind of guy that when I when I'd go show up to church four thirty in the morning or a little later, Don was already there. He was vacuuming floors. Sank himself. When I left at night, Don Don had gone to work and come back and he was there. We had about four and a half acres of grass to mow. Every week, Don got on the mow and mowed that grass. We would get uh, an acre to a parking lot with, uh, you know, inches to a foot of snow. Saturday night, sometimes all night, Don was there shoveling by hand that snow until we broke down and bought him a snowball. I mean, Don sank himself. He sank himself into the work of God. Don showed up every time the doors were open and sometimes when they weren't. Visitation, soul winning, Don was there. One time I came into my home Thursday afternoon in my house. We lived about seven miles down the road and the phone rang and I picked up and uh, a voice on the other end said, Pastor, this is Don Reiner. He said, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be at soul winning tonight. Now, anybody else had said that, I just said, okay, it'd be fine. We'll catch you next week. You know, but not Don. Not Don. 
I said, Don, why? He said, Pastor, I've had an unusually difficult day today. Everything and everybody seemed like it's been against me. If I went, I'd go for the wrong reason. And I said to him, Don, let me ask you a question. What's worse, one sin or two sins? He said, what do you mean, Pastor? I said, is it worse? What's worse, to do the wrong thing with the wrong reason or to do the right thing even though your reason is wrong? Don showed up that man. I gave him some suspect cards. Go visit. Don never visited the suspect cards that I give him, prospect cards. Don always would stop the first person he sees. First person he laid his eyes on. That night, Don won three people to Jesus Christ. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, be steadfast. Don was. Be steadfast. Third ingredient, how to overcome or prevent it. Sing. Sing! So I can't sing. I know, I've been listening. Ah, preacher, I, I just can't. Hey, I'm not talking about it in public. Some people shouldn't, shouldn't sing in public. They tell me when I sing that heaven flies his flag at half mass, the angels fold their wings, cover their face, and weep. Oh, that's true or not. Probably some pretty good theology to that. But sing! I'm talking about it in your heart. Sing! I've sung before some of the greatest audiences in music converts you've ever seen as I drive down the road. And nobody's listening but me. Said people will think you're crazy. I think I am anyway. See, get a song in your heart. Yeah, I don't know any song. Get your songbook. Sign one. Won't cost you ten bucks to buy a songbook. I say I ain't got ten dollars. See Jim Waymire. He's loaded. He give it to you. Get a song in your heart and sing. You know the Bible says that even the right kind of music, even if you. No, even with no lyrics, the right kind of music can be physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually therapeutic. When I'm driving long hours, whether I'm praying or meditating or not, I, I, I'm on my phone, the app for Jack Treberg's KNBBC, their radio station at the Bible College of California. And of course, it goes off when I go out of a signal, but it comes back on again. It's Bluetooth to my the speaker system on my in my car. Music. Sing. Learn to sing. Get you a song. Sing while you wash the dishes. Sissy. I'm wrong. Sing sing sing. You homeschool? You don't know. Oh, you need sing. Sing. Yeah. Uh, when you when your mother is getting that algebra test to, to give to you. Sing! Hey! Sing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Sing. Uh, sing. A good, good. The Bible says the very first result, the very first visible result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a song in your heart. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in songs, spiritual songs, hymns, etc. Sing. Ingredient number four, maintain the right attitude. 
I mean, work on it. Work on that attitude. Your attitude does determine your altitude. When I think of attitude, I think of David. David, the shepherd boy. He was faithfully tending his sheep, and his brothers were out fighting under King Saul's guidance against the Philistines. You know the story. There was a valley in between, and King David's men were on one side, cowering behind the rocks. And Goliath and the Philistines were on the other side, and Goliath would come out and blasphemously curse the name and the people of God. David's daddy, while he was out tending sheep, came to him and said, Son, you take this brown bag, and you take, you take this lunch to your brothers. They're probably hungry. I can tell you what was in the lunch. Cheese sandwiches. How do you know? Well, the Bible says bread and cheese. What do you make out of bread and cheese? Minestrone soup? Cheese sandwiches. Now, I guarantee you, by the time he got there on the hot Palestinian sun, they probably had grilled cheese. Pretty good deal. When he got out there, he heard Goliath come out, curse the armies of God, and curse the God of Israel. Challenge them. You send somebody to fight me. If he kills me, we'll serve you. By the way, they didn't keep their end of the bargain. If I kill him, you serve us. David, David went to his brothers, and they were cowering behind the rocks. And he said, why don't somebody ought to sink a stone into the brain and thought up them ugly things? Why don't somebody kill him? They said, go on home, you curiosity seeker. He went to King Saul and said, Somebody, you need to go out there and fix that guy. King Saul said, I ain't leaving this tent. You seen him? David said, I'll do it for you. King Saul said, nothing doing. When he persisted, he said, okay, take my helmet. And he put his helmet on David and his head went down. He said, take my coat of mail, my armor, and his shoulder sagged. And he took him off and he said, I can't fight with all this stuff on he said, Saul, let me tell you a little story. One day I was tending my sheep, and a bear came and got one of them. On another day, he said, a lion came out. And the God that helped me do that, that God, so David went down to the he went down to the brook and chose five smooth stones. He had a sling. You say, why five? Didn't he have any faith? Well, number one, five is the number of grace, and he knew he'd need the grace of God. Number two, David had four brothers. Excuse me, Goliath had four brothers. David, no dummy. So he got five. He put four stones in his pouch and one in his sling. And you know the rest of the story, but here's what I like about it. While his brothers were cowering behind the boulders, we've never seen anything so big in our lives. We could never win prayer. Impossible. The same time, David, that little boy was looking at the same thing. He said, he loaded this swing. Man, I ain't never had a target this big in my life. How could I miss? It's all in how you look at it. I'll tell you the difference. They were discouraged. He'd been with God on the hillside tending sheep. He was encouraged. So, maintain the right attempt. And then lastly, this is the last ingredient. I promise this one will be short. 
short this way, maybe not this way. Uh, sometimes we get discouraged not because of something, uh, an external circumstance or something somebody else says, but because we fail to live up to our own expectations. Here's the advice, here's the ingredient. Don't expect perfection today. Expect progress today. The Bible does not say, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the world that you may be perfect today. It says that you may go. Did it ever occur to you that there's not one place in the Bible where, I think I said this the other day, where, where God calls his children the adults of God? Never. They didn't even call us the teens of God. I'm sorry, but teenage years are not recognized in the Bible. You're on nothing. Uh, in the Bible language, you're not a child or an adult. But God never called us the adults of God. He called us the children of God. They were the most mature. He called us the children. Why do you think? I'll tell you why. There's always room for progress. If you expect perfection today, you have set yourself up to be discouraged. Don't expect perfection today. Expect progress. The question is not, am I everything today I ought to be? The question is, am I more today than I was yesterday? Am I a better prayer warrior, a more avid student of the Word of God, a more aggressive soul winner today than I was yesterday? That's the question. But Israel was in the wilderness. As long as they were moving, it doesn't matter that they went in figure eights for 38 years. As long as they were moving, they were encouraged. But every time they stood still and stopped, that's when they murmured and complained against Moses and Aaron and against God. So why is it? I'll tell you why. When you're moving, your mind is on the goal, the promised land. When you're standing still, your mind is on Egypt. If you'll, if you'll not, don't expect perfection today, but expect out of yourself every single day. A father took his four-year-old son shopping with him one day, grocery shopping. Dad's little word of advice, never go grocery shopping without your wife unless you have a cell phone and she's near a phone. I made three... Without their wives before cell phones. Well, this daddy took a little boy shopping before cell phones. And the dad, you know, they didn't need a shopping cart, didn't need a big grocery, just a few small items. And so daddy got one of these square baskets with a fold-up hands. You know the kind where you hold them like this, and if you load the basket wrong, you, your hand gets pinched. The little boy said, Daddy, can I carry the basket? Well, he said, well, sure, son. And he gave him the basket and told him how to hold it. And they walked up one aisle and came around the corner down the next aisle, and daddy took some cans and jars and a box or two, and he put off the shelf into the basket. The little boy 
captain were walking a little bit bent over, and they went around the next corner to the next island. As Daddy loaded a few more items, there was a, a young man shopping, not shopping, excuse me, stocking the shelves. He was on his knees, stocking the lower shelf. And he looked at that little boy, whose basket was dragging him a little bit. And he said, little boy, that basket looks heavy. He said, no, sir. basket ain't heavy. They walked on down around the next island. Daddy loaded a five-pound bag of sugar and a few other things. lady shopping. She looked down. She thought it was cute. She said, little boy, is that basket heavy? He said, no, ma'am, basket ain't heavy. They went around a few more items. And the little boy, by the time they got to the counter, was dragging up there on the floor behind him. And he just wanted to do it to the And the clerk thought it was really cute. She leaned over and said, little boy, son, ain't that basket heavy for you? And he said, no, man, that's coming to me. My daddy knows how much I can carry. I do care. Both of us Will he ever overload my basket? Read Second Corinthians 1. Yes, he will. But only the force you to go to him. Just keep in mind, he knows how much you can carry. Stand with me, Heavenly Father. I pray this has been helpful. Thanks to me. And I pray that you'd minister to every heart in this room. And, oh God.